Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my god, that's hysterical. You're not gonna believe this. Oh Oh my god. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Introducing Trish Reyes. She has learned to stand up, not be overly dependent because she's a soldier too. She's a military mom of three. She started her podcast to help mamas start choosing themselves again with real talk and inspiration and validation. She also took care of her daddy and it made her stronger. Trish, welcome. I heard on one of your podcasts that your husband is sometimes gone 60 hours a week. My husband was gone this morning for like five hours and I'm like texting him, are you almost back? (laughs) I do that too though. So we were military. So he'll be gone for seven months and that sucks. Terrible. But also call him like by, you know, five o'clock at night. I'm like, are you you coming home soon? Cause I'm, I'm done. It's a lot. You know, it is what it is. His last job, we're in Nevada now. We were in Virginia. We moved here 10 months ago. And that was his busiest ever. He was working 60, 70 hours a week. And that was during COVID. So I had all three of my kids home with me. And I'm still like mentally recovering from that. It was a nightmare. Yeah. What did that look like? Like a lot of TV. It looked like a lot of crying for me and for them. It wasn't pretty. There was nothing pretty about it because where we were, I know everybody's different. Everybody has their own comfort levels. But for us, where we were, nobody was seeing each other. So my one friend who was my oldest daughter had was her best friend's mom. And those were the only people we were in contact with really for most of that time. Nobody wanted to be around us, especially because my husband was working. So he was out of the house where everybody else would just shut in, you know, it was all on me because he was gone. He'd leave before the kids woke up. And then he'd be home sometimes for dinner, mostly like 30 minutes or so before bedtime. And then after he'd get home, his bosses would be calling him. It was just a really busy tour for us. It's like the busiest one of his career. It paid off. Like it put us in a good position for his next tour, but it was, it was a nightmare. It wasn't good. That is so hard. Yeah. Tell me about his military experience and where you've lived and all of that. Yeah. I will say Paul and I have been together since we were 14. I think this year will be 23 years we've been together and I'm 37. I don't know life without him. His dad said, Hey, why don't you go try out for the Naval Academy? Paul's an athlete. Paul's a leader. Paul's was made for that. So he's like, okay. And he goes and he tries and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. He gets in. We joke. So when you try to apply for a service academy, you have to get like a Congress. You do it for all these interviews with congressmen. Nobody signed off on Paul. So we joke because Paul, we're Jewish and Paul's also Puerto Rican. So like we had a lot of minority boxes to check off <laughs> or he did. I didn't go. So I think that's how that, that helped. He graduated. He became an NFO, which is a flight officer. So if you see the movie Top Gun, Paul's Maverick, not in a jet. He flies a plane called an E-2 when they're in war. His plane kind of controls everything. So flies off and on a carrier. So we lived in Florida for a year for flight school. Then we moved to Norfolk, Virginia. We were there for eight years, had our first two kids there. When my second daughter was three months old, we moved to California. We lived there for four years. In the meanwhile, Paul had this really cool opportunity to go to grad school. The Navy paid for him to go to grad school. So we lived like civilians for two years, but he still got paid by the Navy. And that was, we'll never live like that again. It was amazing. It was a dream. After that, we moved to Virginia, which is when that tour 
started where COVID started and he was working like 60, 70 hours a week. And that was only for a year and a half. We lived in Virginia again, and now we're in Nevada. We've been here for 10 months and we moved in about six months back to California. So do you think it could be another dream chapter there? So for him, this is going to be the pinnacle of his career. It's something he's worked on. He's going to be a a commanding officer, which means he's in charge of an entire squadron. He's awesome. I'm really proud of him. So this is going to be like a pinnacle, but I'm just happy to be in California again, because that's, we're from New Jersey, but we belong in California. So I would love to hear about your religious observance or your connection with Judaism. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. I haven't seen a Jew in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Right here, baby. There you are. There's the people. So Hanukkah was, you know, it was a few weeks ago. I got out all our menorahs and I was like, oh crap, I don't have candles. So I went to Walmart to go get candles. And I asked the lady that worked there like, hey, where's your Hanukkah section? Or do you have a Hanukkah section? Expecting like an end cap, you know, that's what we get. And she just stared at me and I'm like, Hanukkah? She's like, no, no idea. That's full of lights, something. So I then I had to go to another lady and she's like, no, we don't have that here. I was like, okay. So we didn't get to light Hanukkah candles this year. That's mostly how we observe Judaism, <laughs> lighting Hanukkah candles which is interesting because Paul's mom, my husband's mom is in rabbinical school. She is super Jew. <laughs> I'm hundred percent, you know, Jewish. Paul technically is half. His father was not Jewish, but he was raised Jewish. He was bar mitzvah. I was not bar mitzvah. I didn't want to be, and my parents let me do whatever I wanted. So there's that. It's kind of sad. Our daughter, our three-year-old, I was like, we're going to celebrate Hanukkah tomorrow. She's like, well, where is she? Where's Hanukkah? I was like, oh God, please don't let my mother-in-law hear this. Please, please, please. I'm not religious. I think I'm, I believe in something. I just don't know what it is, but it also wasn't instilled in me the way that it was in my husband. Cause I've been with him since I was 14. We did Shabbat every Friday, every Friday for better, or for worse, whether we wanted to be there or not looking back, like it was really nice family time. And I would love to instill something like that with my kids. I mean, every day is family time for us at their ages, but no, I'm not very religious. Yeah, that's cool. How did you guys like get together in the beginning? He sat next to me in seventh grade Spanish. Eighth grade, we were in the same homeroom. So I got to know him and we became best friends. And I had a big thing for him. Like I chased him real good. And then ninth grade, we started dating. And, you know, sophomore and junior year were a little rough. And then from junior year on, we've been together ever since, all through college, all through everything. We were long distance for five years. It both took us five years to graduate college. It happens. And we were together the whole time and we got married about two weeks after graduation. You guys have really grown up together. Yeah, it's amazing to think about, you know, like I look at myself and I'm starting to look older and I see his like grays popping in and I'm like, it's so strange to like see that transition, you know? I remember when we first got married, I didn't work because we had, you know, I had just graduated college. It was summer and I was, I was a teacher, so I didn't have a job yet. And we were only living, we were in Maryland for eight weeks when we first got married. We had no furniture. Everything was hand-me-downs. We had never lived on our own before. We went to Ikea. And I remember there was a table, a coffee table that was $189, I think. And he bought it for me. And that was like a really, really big deal because we were straight out of college. He was getting paid because he was a commission officer, but it wasn't much. And I remember him buying me this table and I was like, he really loves me. And like, this is such a a stretch for us. So it's funny to like watch that little table that wasn't very expensive was like such a big deal. And then just see like where we are now, like what we can do with our kids and the opportunities that we have now and how we've grown and how we've like built that together is pretty cool. That's truly amazing. I'm sure you don't have many friends that have been in relationships as long as you. 
not that are my age. Like if I have friends that are like, I have a bunch of friends that are 10 years older, which I think every mom should have friends like a decade ahead. It's like my secret weapon. And so they have, but my age, not that many. I find a lot of military families, a lot of them will get married earlier because it's just, it's easier to be married than not if you're with someone in the military for like the benefits and things like that. Have you kept in touch with other friends from that school? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, our best man, we see him every year. I've known him since I was seven. My oldest friends, they're actually, we're together in high school too. And they're they're married with three kids. And I just talked to her last week. My parents were married. My dad died 10 days before my parents' 40th anniversary. Such a long time, you know? I would love to know like what you let slide with the first one and then how that changed by kid three. I think it's the opposite. I think I didn't let anything slide with my first one and my third. I'm like, do whatever. Like, you're fine. (laughs) Yeah. So our oldest daughter, she's my challenge. She's always, she's just been difficult since I delivered her myself on the bathroom floor. She just, that's Gwen. She's a pistol, but she, you know, I think with your first kid, you're very, they're very coddled. Like, you know, you, you're so worried all the time. And, you know, my dad died 10 weeks before she was born. So it was just an interesting time, like losing your parent and becoming a mother essentially at like at the same time. Oh my God. That must've been so hard. Yeah. We could talk about it if you want. Yeah. You like daddy stuff and I've got, I got some doozies. Yeah. Tell me that story. That's okay. I can't imagine like, that's such a big grief. Yeah. And then trying to be like happy and such a mix. Yeah, it's your first pregnancy, which is so unknown, as you know, you're you're pregnant. You're like, I remember I wanted to Paul in a cute way, but I didn't. I like texted him or I called him. And I remember my hands just shaking, trying to call him to tell him I'm pregnant. I found out at work. I didn't believe it. So my my girlfriend peed on the other pregnancy test and was like, look, it's negative. Yours is not. And that's (laughs) I'll never forget that. And I'm like, my hands are shaking and I'm trying to call him and tell him I'm pregnant. And at the same time as like, we find this out, my, so my dad's been sick, was sick my entire life. He was sick. I don't remember him ever not being sick. Oh my God. But different, different things. He had, I mean, he had his first heart attack at 46 and then he had a massive heart attack at age 57, where he was at university of Pennsylvania for a month. Maybe I was 21. Oh my God. 21. So I was almost about to be engaged. And I'm, I remember like, I'm just sorry. I'm trying to like set a little background here how like having a sick parent really affects every part of your life. And I was knew I was getting engaged soon to my husband and like thinking he's not going to be there, like walk me down the aisle, like all these things. So everything that's been really great in my life has always, always had a gray cloud of having a sick parent. Essentially. My dad was amazing. My dad was the best, but he was really sick. So he was very limited in what he could do. So back to when I found out I got pregnant, I call them, I tell them they're so excited. But at the same time, my dad is starting to progress through the end stages of heart failure. When you have heart failure, it's not just like your heart. It affects everything like mentally because you're not getting oxygen because your body isn't working. Your your minerals are off, blood levels are off. So it can affect you mentally. Like there was one point in that pregnancy where my dad, his sodium levels, I think had dropped so low that he didn't know who anybody was. He was in the hospital for days and my brother's like, who's nine years older than me, he's like, you need to come home. And I'm in Virginia. So it's a six hour drive and I work full time. Like, okay, I'm coming home. If you tell me I have to come home, like it must be bad. My dad, all he like, he saw me and he's like, I love you. I love you. But he didn't know who I was. He just knew he loved me. They got his levels back. He's fine. Not fine, but he's back to cognitively himself. And then things just started to get really bad. He just started failing more and more. And as that progressed, August, we had a trip planned. I was four months pregnant. We had a trip planned to Alaska 
my husband and I, we wanted to do a baby moon. You know, we were dinks, dual income, no kids. This was going to be our last opportunity to do something like that without having to worry about a kid. I canceled the trip because my dad's so sick. I'm scared that something will happen. Plus I'm flying to Alaska from New Jersey. Like if something happens to him, how am I going to get back? I'm going to be worried the whole time. It wasn't worth it. So we continue. That was August, September. My dad's pretty much in the hospital in and out the whole time. September, you know, school starts. I'm in and out of work. Like I said, I was a teacher. I had to keep driving home almost every weekend because he was just really bad. I remember him asking me, my daughter's name is Gwendolyn Lawrence. My dad's middle name was Lawrence. And as you know, like in Judaism, you name after somebody that passed away. He knew her name was going to be Gwendolyn Harper. He's like, well, what if something happens to me before she's born? Like, what if will you change her name? And I was like, well, you know, you, you know what her name's going to be. So I kind of like that you would know what her name is. And he's like, yeah, I like that too. We had these little conversations here and there. And he kept asking his doctors, am I going to make it to see this baby? Am I going to make it to see this baby? I was due February 9th with Gwen. So this is August, September, October, October, things start to get really bad. I plan over Thanksgiving that I'm going to come home, stay for a little while because things are really, really bad. My mom planned a baby shower for me. We're going to go to my baby shower. We're going to see my dad. We go home. We're with my dad. He's at the end stages of heart failure. You're, you're like a shell of a person. He knew I was there, but like, not really. November 18th is my baby shower. It's a, it was a beautiful baby shower, but everyone's crying the whole time because my dad's literally on his deathbed. Oh my God. We're FaceTiming with my dad. Like people are crying because they're all seeing him and he's, I think he was, I don't know if he really understood what was happening. That was November 18th. We go back to the hospital and he was really bad that night, November 18th. And then November 19th, they decide they're going to take him off all medicine and put him on morphine because it was just hopeless. And then he died November 20th. Oh my God. So, you know, November 22nd was Thanksgiving. (laughs) It wasn't the best Thanksgiving we've ever had, but my sister-in-law made a beautiful Thanksgiving for us. I cried the whole time, but we tried so I'm like mega pregnant. I'm, he died. I was 28 weeks and three days pregnant. I, when I was 28 years old, I gave his eulogy huge pregnant. And then, you know, we go, we drive home to Virginia, which was really sad to leave my mom because now she's by herself. I mean, it was also, I think a bit of a release of a burden for her because she was his caregiver. She did everything. And then all of a sudden he was gone. You know, I know that was a burden lifted, but also devastating. How did you give that eulogy? Oh my God, that must have been so hard. I wrote it down and read it word for word. Otherwise, which isn't normally like when I've done public speaking, usually I talk, but I wouldn't have. So I wrote it down and I got up there by myself and I stood there and I was like, Paul, and my husband just stood there next to me, but I needed to do it. You remember anything that you said now? I remember so my dad was really into boxing and I remember saying my dad was something along him being like a fighter along something like that. I have it. I have the paper. I don't think I've read it since, but I have it. Yeah. And so then we drove home to Virginia, started counting down to baby and she was born February 2nd. So he oh, died. That was so close together. Yeah. It was a whirlwind. And it's just a really interesting thing when you are supposed to have all this joy, but also it's grief at the same time. It's, it's hard to, it's a hard thing to describe really. It's really the two opposite they're polar opposites, you know, but I threw myself into motherhood immediately as you know, most new moms do. But I think I really did because I needed that to heal too. I needed something to focus on. I do feel like it's amazing though, that your husband knew him. And that's one really beautiful thing about you getting together with your husband so young. You're right. It is. My dad knows how my life was going to go. He knew my husband very well. I mean, he had known him for 15 years by the time he died. He knew I was pregnant. He knew it was a girl, but that's, that's kind of where it ended. Did you feel some solace in that? 
Yes and no is really unfair to him. He was only 64 when he died. He wasn't that old. So he really missed out on a lot. But my brother is, like I said, is nine years older than me. And he had three daughters. So he knew them all really well. So he got to be a grandpa. And he was a really great grandpa. And he was a really, really amazing dad. He did his best. I think growing up with a really sick father has really affected me as a mother in good ways and in really bad ways. How so? Positives or negatives first? What do you think? Let's go with positive. So the positives are is one, I feel like I really know how to love my kids because my dad really loved me. Like I was his life and I realized and not to like crap on my mom. My mom's great. But when my dad died, I realized my dad was really my nurturer. And so when he was gone, I was like, oh, it was just interesting to see, you know, you always expect it to be your mom, but it wasn't for me. It was my dad. And I have a feeling you could probably relate to that. I definitely can. Yeah. Dads are special. When my dad was gone, I feel like the positives that I learned from him is how to love my kids. But also because my dad was so sick, we didn't do anything growing up. Like we didn't travel. We didn't, we didn't do a lot. My kids, I mean, they do everything. Like we do everything we can with my kids because I realize that you might not always be able to. My dad had a, he was missing vertebrae in his neck. I remember him riding the waves with me in the ocean. And I remember him being in a lot of pain afterwards, but he wanted to do that with his kid. And so it kind of, and I, sometimes I do have to stop and think like, don't take for granted the things that you have the ability to do. Cause my dad didn't have the ability to do those things. And so I missed out on a lot of memories as a child because my dad couldn't give them to me. He worked, he had a very high power job in Manhattan. He was the director of Penguin Putnam, the publishing company. He had a big time job in the city. And he literally went from that to having a heart attack to the next day being home every day for the rest of his life. Yeah, it was. Whoa. How did that affect his self-worth? I never talked to him about it, but it was brutal. Looking back now as an adult, you know. Yeah, it's a lot. And, you know, as I get older, I think about it more, which is why it affects me more now. My dad was not judgmental. I could tell him anything. Were there times that you think other parents may have judged you? There's a very particular time in my life that something significant happened. And I went to my parents and the reactions from both of them were night and day. And I realized then that I needed my dad for that stuff. Or the negatives of having a sick father my whole life is no one ever put me in therapy. I saw a lot of things go down, scary things. Like I must've called in my childhood 911 dozen times more. They knew us by name. Yeah. That's scary. Like Bob, Bob was the EMT that lived across the street that would come over Bob. I don't remember the other one's name, but it was pretty traumatic. A lot of really scary, crazy things that children shouldn't see but that's life. Nobody ever put me in therapy because of it. So now as an adult, I'm hitting the age that my, so my dad was 36 when I was born. I'm 30. I just turned 37. And I notice I have a lot of, so they don't call it hypochondria anymore. They call it illness, anxiety disorder. I got that big time because I always saw growing up, like the most benign thing, like my dad was had a hernia surgery, which is, you know, not a big deal. That hernia exploded in the middle of the night. And I saw blood spray painted all over the walls. My mom screaming and that was a 911 call. So I saw a lot of things like that, a lot of things like that. And worst case scenarios that only happened to like, you know, the 0.1% or whatever, 0.01%. That was always my dad. In my head, those things are always going to happen to me because I always, I know they can happen. I saw them happen. So I, I deal with a lot of issues because of that. And I'm in pretty significant therapy. I have been for about five months trying to get over it. 
I would love to ask you about your experience with that too. Cause like, I feel like when you start therapy, like you might think it's for one thing and then God, you just peel back so many layers. You're like, okay, this is not really why I'm here. Yeah. What's that experience been like? I've been to a couple therapists just because I think therapy is for, I like therapy. I think it's good for everybody, but I realize as I'm getting older and as my kids are getting older, I think that's what scares me. I'm not scared to die. I'm scared to leave my kids. I don't want to leave my kids and I don't worry about anyone else getting sick. It's just me. So I'm in this therapy. It's called cognitive resource model. And it's a very special kind of therapy. It's not really talk therapy. I mean, it is, but it isn't where it goes like deep, deep inside to places that you don't know exist. And it doesn't erase the memories but it helps you become feeling safe with them. And so I'm noticing a big difference. I really am. So it just helps you get inside these places that you can feel safe with them. And I think it's working. When the pandemic started, that was my worst nightmare because you can get sick and die and I'm going to get COVID and I'm going to get sick and die because in the beginning, we didn't know anything, you know, you thought you could walk outside and it's going to like be in the air and then you're dead. So the COVID starting and then my husband being gone all the time and me dealing with this was for somebody like me, it was hard for everybody, everybody. But for someone like me, it's a special kind of hell because I was terrified to leave my house. I was terrified because if I get COVID, I'm going to die. That's all there is to it. I'm not going to be okay. I'm going to die. So I started um, Zoloft. I needed like a low dose of some medicine to help me get through it. And I was actually able to get out. I've been off of Zoloft for like six weeks now. And so I really think the therapy is helping because I don't feel any different with medication than without. So I feel like that's a good sign that I'm going in the right direction because I wasn't even functioning. Well, that's amazing that you know your body that well. I know my body too well. That's the problem. I read into everything. Do you think that your interest in nutrition came from having an ill parent? Oh yeah, totally. And also Paul, my husband used to be really overweight. Paul's dad also passed away when I was pregnant with my second daughter. Everyone, somebody dies whenever I'm pregnant. It's bizarre. We were kind of estranged from Paul's dad. Of course we were, we were sad, but it wasn't the same as when my dad died. That's not really a nice thing to say, but we had some problems with his dad. Paul's dad was very, very obese, type two diabetic, died of a heart attack, you know, and that scared Paul because Paul has his genes. Paul very much gets overweight if he looks at a brownie, like he will gain five pounds. Especially when we had our first daughter, he was like, all right, I really need to do something. Now Paul's run like 15 marathons. He's on full Ironman. Like, so he's, he changed a lot too. And so the nutrition kind of came along with all that. Yeah. Talk to me about that path. The nutrition started when I was on Facebook, probably mindlessly scrolling. And someone said something about, it's called the NTA, the Nutritional Therapy Association. I was like, what is that? So I Googled it. I was like, oh my God, this is the job that I always wanted to do. And I told Paul and he's like, all right, go for it. So I went back to school, became a nutritional therapist. That was in 2017. And I had my practice for about almost a year. And then that's when I was, I stopped, I wrapped things up when I was super pregnant with my third daughter and we were moving cross country and then COVID started. So I haven't been able to pick it up again because I just haven't had the mental capacity to be responsible for other people's issues because I had enough going on. (laughs) But I did hear you say that it was one of the happiest times in your life and that it gave you something to do outside of being a mom. It was, but that was also when Paul was in grad school for two years. Like I had mentioned that all lined up at the same time, but yeah, I find that, you know, just getting into like the motherhood talk, I'm definitely happiest when I have a purpose outside of my family. Hence why I started a podcast because I love podcasts and I just need something to focus on besides my kids or I'm miserable. Now let's talk about the Choose Mom podcast and how that's going and some of your favorite parts of that. So I've been listening to podcasts have been like my best friend here for the last 10 months because I, there's nobody here. So I listen to podcasts. I just felt one day that I want to start a podcast, but I didn't know what to talk about. 
we were in Hawaii and I talk about this in like my first little episode, we were in Hawaii and I was just having panic attack after panic attack after panic attack. And I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I need to like figure something out. And I was like, I want to share this because I feel like other moms are feeling the same way. And that's kind of how Choose Mom happened because I know so many moms feel the way that I do, like overwhelmed and overworked and underappreciated and all, you know, all that. And I like sharing other people's stories so that we all feel a little more normal. I feel like you have some insider knowledge into what it's like to be a military wife because you have traveled and you have been a part of that community for a while. Have there been things that other military wives have said to you that have helped with your anxiety or not? I mean, I'll be honest, it's my girlfriend and I got together in September and we did like three days away in Lake Tahoe, just the two of us. And she had, she had shared with me that she had just gotten on medication and she's like, I think I'm the last one of our friends to be on it. I think a lot of us shared, I don't know if it's a pandemic thing, because I didn't really talk about it as much before the pandemic. I mean, we're almost two years into this thing. It's not new. I think a lot of them have anxiety, tons of it. And nobody, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Most of my friends are military. I do have friends that are not, and they deal with it too. I feel like it just feels like so many women are being overtaken by anxiety right now. The best advice that I got was from my best friend. And I've been saying this to myself and she struggles with anxiety. And what she tells herself is my anxiety is lying to me. It is a big fat liar and it is lying to me. And I just need to not believe it. Just remind yourself that your anxiety is lying to you. I love that. I do too. What are other misconceptions of military wives? Well, what do you think about us? And I'll let you know. Is it like a secret society in some ways? The sisterhood. So the thing about military wives is I think is that we are some of like the most badass and scrappiest people, you know, because we have to be, I was not, I could not do anything on my own when I got married, but now like I do everything on my own, everything, because I have to a lot of the time. I find a lot of military wives are self-starters because you can't always have a constant career. It's a lot of like my one friend is a massage therapist. She's here for a year. If she wants to practice here, she's licensed in California, but if she wants to practice in Nevada, She has to pay over $5,000 between tests and other courses. So, so it's not realistic to pay five grand for a year, you know, and that's not every job, but a lot of our jobs are hard. Like when I was a teacher, I had to go get certified in every state. And that was a real pain in the ass. We have to be scrappy. We have to kind of be self-starters. And if we want to do something outside of the family, like we kind of have to make it happen. Your people will do anything for you, whether you're close or whether you're not, and you become close really fast. And I'm incredibly blessed to know women all over the world. Like literally my best friend, I've known her for 12 years. She lives in Japan. I talked to her on Marco Polo like four times a day, every day. I have other friends that are in Australia. I have friends that are in Europe. I have friends that are, you know, all over the world. It's pretty cool. Okay. So here's baby a misconception. Do you ever worry about your husband cheating? No. I mean, I know of like three people that that has happened to. One of them, the wife was okay with it. It was weird. Like it was just like, I don't want to say it's weird. Everyone's marriage works for them. I don't want to say it's weird. That worked for them. She was fine with it. The other two, not so much. No, I never worry about that. Because Paul's been with me since he was 14. Like he doesn't know how to like pick up a woman. I would love to see him like just try. (laughs) I think he's a catch, but just, he's like, he's a husband and such like a dad, you know, like he's got three daughters. Like there's just, I don't think that lives inside of him. And also like when he's gone and you've got like your routine going and then he comes home. Yeah. We just got into a fight about that yesterday, actually. (laughs) He came home and he was like nitpicking something. And I'm like, dude, just, just, just stop. Just stop. And he's like, okay, fine. Then did it again. But yeah. I would imagine that that could be hard though, when you have to be in charge so much. 
And then it is, it is, especially I, I find a lot for us. It's okay because Paul knows how to just like take a back seater. He takes direction very well. He grew up with a dad who was very like a dictator. So Paul knows from day one, he's always been able to be told what to do. Maybe that's why he's in the military. I don't know. It is hard for me. And like for friends too, because you know, once your husband's gone, like, like you just click in a, you just move on. Like you do not move on, but you continue. You do what you got to do and things are done your way. And I'm actually way more efficient. The house is way cleaner when Paul's not home because I'm doing so much more. And then he comes home and I think I relax a little bit. So things are, when he's not home, things are actually way more organized and together. And that's no reflection of him. That's just me like dropping my guard. Because when he's gone, I get even more controlling because I like to control the things I can. Now, when your daughters are going to date, are there things that you have learned that you might want to hint to them that they should talk about prior? Or are you just going to be supportive of them? I don't want them to get married as early as I did. I don't regret getting married early. I love my life. Like I love my marriage, but I always say, I wish I would have met Paul when I was like 25, just to like have those experiences. Although people who have had those experiences tell me they're not that great. So I don't know, but I wish, sometimes I wish I would have had like more stories under my belt. But you've gotten to include him in so many of your stories, which is awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. But I guess I'm just like, like, I've never been on a first date. Like I've never done any of that stuff. And so like, I feel like those are like rites of passage for humans and I've never done any of that, but I wouldn't trade my life for anything. Yeah. I guess my final question would be, do you think that grades matter or are you more focused on your kids being supported and helping them with their education? I mean, I think both grades do have to matter at some point. I'm lucky that I mean, my girls are little, they're only in third and first grade and, the, and then the baby, but they're smart kids. Like they get straight A's, whatever that means and at their grades. I think if you want to have opportunities like going to college and things like that later than grades are going to have to matter whether you want them to or not. But I do think, you know, before we hopped on, I was just doing, my daughter had some homework over the weekend and we were just finishing it up and it came really easy to her. But then I saw how she was, this is my third grader. She was doing like double digit addition, which she's already like on multiplication. So this is a skill, you know, she learned a few months ago and I noticed she was doing it in a really strange way. And I was like, let's like figure this out. Cause she was getting it wrong the way she was structuring it. And so like the support, like I sat down with her and like showed her like, Hey, this is actually the way it should be done. Because sometimes I guess like moving, like the skills aren't always translating because they're kind of different each place. But no, I think the support is it's huge, but I feel like society is kind of shifting. Who knows what's going to look like in nine years when nine years, when my oldest goes to college, but I feel like the emphasis on grades might be less than, you know, cause so many, there's so many self-starters. So who knows? Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? I'd like to know like what makes him proud of you? Like, what is he the most proud of with his kids? I wonder what your dad would have said about that. Yeah. My kids would be most proud of my kids and how independent I've become. I think is what he would say because I was not. <laughs> no. And I think he would be very surprised and very proud of like the life that Paul and I have created. That's amazing. Well, I can't wait to hear what he says. Me too. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. Trisha, I think that one of the things I'm most proud of, not just Rena, my oldest daughter, but really Jessica and Stephanie, is that they have all learn to be independent as well, where they can stand on their own feet, where they can, they all got an education where they can better themselves, be able to make a living if they had to. But I think most of all, 
is that they have different talents and skills, and they're real. They're not phony, and they have compassion for other people. And I think that's, uh, those are very important traits to have, being authentic as well as being uh, well-educated and being caring and being family-oriented and realizing that the real riches of this earth, which is obviously their father's dream and his father's dream and my mother's dream and previous generations of how important it is to look beyond our generation and to be able to see that having children and the short period of time that we're on this earth is to show that there is some type of value in a continuum. And even though we question it at times, it seems to be where that military family, my dad was in the military, and loyalty and having a discipline to never give up and keep striving forward, all very important aspects to the game of life. I thought you would relate to her story because she met her husband so young and they really grew up together. Well, isn't that really something? Because his father came from a military background. He ended up in the military. And really, the truth of the matter is, is that having camaraderie, having loyalty, having drive to look forward, but also thinking as a team effort. That's why playing sports or being on certain teams, you can't succeed sometimes just individually, if your teammates don't get revved up and support the effort, you end up losing. And a lot of times people get a real bad attitude when they think that everybody around them are not giving their best when you're trying to give yours. So it's uh, very important to motivate each other. And that motivation and encouragement, when you have that in the atmosphere, you'd be surprised, but you always get better results. Also, what did you think about her talking about becoming a mother as she was losing her father? We've seen this before, as has happened, and it's really a connection where I can't get over how her father, who really had serious aspirations of doing well and wanting to spend special time with his family, even if it pained him or hurt him to do certain events, that really emphasized to her how important it is to do family outings and to get together with them as you're going along, because you never know. Our time can be quite limited of what we can do and how long we're going to be here. So to spend those special moments with your grandparents, with your parents, with your children, is just where all the value of life really is. And when you miss out on that and you don't have those experiences, I don't think life is the same without it. It's a beautiful experience to be involved with deep relationships of all generations. And we shouldn't throw them away. We shouldn't throw them away. We should definitely appreciate them when the times are, are going well and our, the times are together because you never know what can happen where it can come to a sudden halt and end. I've been very fortunate, even with a lot of the downs in my life, I've had so many beautiful ups and experiences that I, w I wouldn't trade a thing. But we have to grow from it and we have to keep understanding that the job that we try to do with our children is to hopefully do a better job than maybe my parents did with me. And if they did a great job to make sure that I can still try to ascertain at least that level, if not a better level with my children. And hopefully my children can also do that same type of dedication to their children and their children's children. And that keeps the formula going forward. And isn't that really what humanity is trying to ascertain is that we can have a maturing of all people and all families where we can hopefully carry out the will of God of showing that we can 
make the right choices. And even if we've made some of the wrong choices along the way, that we can rise above it and make better choices for the future. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 